0: This podcast is a product of the Fourth and Inches Network.
1: A podcast network designed to keep Husky fans up to date on their favorite programs around UW.
0: Enjoy the show and go dogs. Go dogs. Go Dogs.
1: back to another edition of the dog and duck show i don't know if you are anything like me but i am already starving for more podcasts around the things that i'm passionate about husky football i'm sure mark you and your duck fans are feeling the same way about duck football and so we are here to help at least partially satisfy your hunger we are the dog and duck show we're not going away we're not going into hibernation we're going to go strong all year long bringing you the best in husky and oregon duck uh, football and other sports news as well as we're going to talk about some nfl playoffs so mark how are you doing my friend i'm doing fantastic
0: warren uh NFL playoffs outside of college football is probably my favorite time of the year. NFL playoffs in March Madness are the two times of the year that give me the most joy um, when my team is not directly involved, when I can just enjoy the drama from afar uh, without the personal stakes that, that come with watching the ducks. So it uh, <laughs> been a fun last couple weekends and uh, oh, yeah. obviously, you know, following news in the recruiting cycle and the transfer portal, there's, there's never a dull moment there and kind of imagining what the next year's roster is going to be like. So fun on that front as well.
1: Well, as we always do, we try to start off with some dog news and some duck news. But today's episode is going to be about roster reformation. So in this new era of college football, we constantly see players coming in, coming out. Teams are changing dramatically from one season to the next. So that's what we're going to get into in a few minutes. But before we do, let's talk a little bit of dog news. This was a massive. This past weekend was a massive recruiting weekend for the the Washington Huskies. And Mark, I got to tell you that there are times, and I know you're going to love this, but there are times when I do get, I have gotten a little jealous over the Oregon Ducks. And oh, say, say more, Warren. Say yeah, more. You know, and 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 honestly, it's when we hear about these amazing recruiting weekends that the ducks are hosting with tons of high level four-star five-star players coming in from all over the country and that just wasn't really the way that chris peterson did things It wasn't really the way that jimmy lake did things we would have some high-level recruits here or there we might have four or five on a weekend but the the Courtney Morgan effect, I think, is really beginning to set in with this new era Washington Huskies. They had 50-plus recruits this past weekend here at Montlake, a bunch of four- and five-stars from all over the country, guys from Florida and Texas, guys that we would have never seen at Montlake uh, before were here this weekend. And then this upcoming weekend – Uh, We also have a gigantic group of players coming in uh, for the junior day weekend. So exciting stuff happening around recruiting for the Huskies, which, again, is not something that we're super familiar with at this time of year. So really, really exciting stuff for Husky fans to kind of keep track of and and follow to see which, you know, which players name us in their top five and top three and which commits we get. Um, You know, other recruiting news, you know, this won't really move the needle for an Oregon Duck fan, but um, little legacy recruiting going on. So uh, Royce Cleveland, who is the son of Husky tight end, Cam Cleveland. Cam was a star tight end for the Huskies, played in the NFL. He is now uh, Tony Castricone's color commentator for uh, game day for the the Husky radio. Uh, he's coming in on a preferred walk on uh, offer as an inside offensive lineman, three star kid uh, out of uh, out of Oregon. And then um, I don't know if this will tra- turn into anything, but uh, I was excited to see this. So Namir Robinson, who is the the son of Nate Robinson former Husky defensive back and superstar basketball player, and the grandson of Husky running back Jacques Robinson, who was the MVP of the Rose Bowl and the Orange Bowl, uh, has just received a preferred walk-on offer as well. I don't know if he's going to accept it, but I think that would be super cool if he did. Uh, I would be stoked to see that. He's a five-nine cornerback, three-star kid and uh would be a lot of fun so good good stuff and then there's one other kid that i'm kind of hoping gets some offer whether it's a, a scully or a pwo but gabe hoffman so mm-hmm. uh, gabe is the son of steve hoffman who was a, a a star uh defensive lineman for the huskies in the mid-90s and the nephew of dave Hoffman, who was one of the most dominant linebackers during the Huskies national championship run. Um, he's a three-star tight end out of Sammamish, doesn't have an offer yet. Uh, he's got a, a handful of offers at smaller schools, but would be super cool to see him get an offer as well. So little little legacy news there, uh, but a lot of fun, fun things happening in, in Husky news right now.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you, Warren, in that anytime you get somebody who has a family connection to the school, it just seems to mean a little more to bring one of those guys in. I saw that Oregon uh, looks like they offered a preferred walk-on spot to Ontario Smith Jr. His I saw dad, that. Uh, Yeah, his dad was, of course, a great running back uh, for the Ducks about 20 years ago, and and there's even some some early you know crackling out there about Akili Smith Jr., who I think just finished like yes. his sophomore year as a high school quarterback. I I don't think Oregon is one of the schools that has already offered him. A, a few schools have, mm-hmm. um, but that's another one where it would be interesting to 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 keep an eye on just because of his his connection yeah. to the school. So uh, I totally. Totally understand that when, when you see those names come across and and you realize who they're connected to, that it, it just gives a little different sense of excitement to see some of those guys, you know, suit up in the uniforms that, that their dad wore, or their grandfather wore. Very cool. Absolutely.
1: And speaking of names, one of the biggest names in the world, LeBron James. Bronny James has uh, named Oregon as one of his top three uh, schools right now.
0: What do you think about? Yeah, that? you know, I'm I'm less enthusiastic about that than you might think, just because I I have been just about the biggest uh, champion of Dana Altman's coaching mm. as there can be, mm. and over the last couple of years, Dana Altman has has landed kind of some uncharacteristically strong recruiting classes. Prior prior to that, a lot of his best work had been done through the transfer portal, really getting guys that had kind of been castoffs elsewhere forming them into cohesive units. He was a master at that. And it does not seem like pulling high, highly touted recruits out of high school has been a real strength of his. Uh, it The last two years now, it looks like Oregon's going to miss the tournament for a second year in a row. And I was so high on Dan. I'm still very high on Dana Altman to be clear. Like I would mm-hmm. still take stock in him. If you told me he was going to be Oregon's coach for the next five years, I would gladly just take that and, See what happens. I think he's the type of guy that has shown, you know, enough to be enthusiastic about it. But when I heard that we're going after LeBron's son, I was just kind of like, yeah, I I don't know if that's really what we need, because I think Dana has done his best with guys that have a chip on their shoulder. I mean, the best, best Dana Altman player was Dylan Brooks who if you watch him in the NBA <laughs> was, now, has been in he's the trying news to recently. fight Shannon Sharp.
1: Yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> like, like there is nobody who had a bigger chip on his shoulder when he played still than, than Dylan Brooks. So to LeBron James son just seems like the total opposite of that.
1: Oh man. Absolutely. Well, you know, there would be nothing to me more Oregon than Bronny James, you know, coming to, to play. I mean, just the, the amount that's, that's hype on hype on hype on hype right there. So, I mean, which is so funny because like you said, that's not, that doesn't seem to be Dana Altman's personality, but it seems to be the Oregon persona.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't, I mean, they've never, they've dipped their toe now in the recruiting waters on the basketball side, but they haven't landed anyone of like a that kind of caliber. Um hmm. I guess the closest thing was Manute Bull's son, Bull Bull, when they brought him hmm. in. That was a pretty big deal. And then he I think he played like 13 games and got hurt. Right. So uh but yeah I it just to me it just uh, it it seems uh more like a publicity stunt than than like a move to you know pursue a final four or something like yeah. that. So I'm kind of hoping it doesn't come to pass. I'm hoping uh somebody else gives him a more enticing offer.
1: You know, those kind of situations I think are so interesting because in his own right, I think Bronny James is going to be a good player, but there's no way in my mind he's going to ever be able to compare to the hype and the production that his dad, you know, had as a, and has as a basketball player. So everywhere he goes, he's going to have to carry that extra fanfare. That's really not earned. It's more so, and it's more so thrust upon him.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you know, you have to wonder if there are some coaches that either, either a, they want that kind of hype or B they're like, I'd rather just stay away from that.
0: Yeah. I mean, we have plenty of examples of great athletes who's, fathers played professional sports everybody from ken griffey jr to patrick mahomes to steph curry right we have plenty of examples of like being raised in that culture can lead someone to be you know one of the best at all time but we don't really have the example of like their dad being the greatest of all time and that you know michael jordan's son Mm -hmm. was like kind of a a bench player in college you know like just i mean he was he was a non-factor right uh so like you know, being del Curry's son or or being the mm. son of a relief pitcher for the twins right. is a different thing than being the son of one of the greatest sports athletes ever. And so it just it's it seems like a totally different equation. And uh, not that I don't wish him well or hope he has a great career, but i I would have to do some real research on like are there father son combinations where both are in the Hall of Fame in any sport?
1: Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I I can't yeah,
0: think of any off the top of my head, but it doesn't mean that they aren't right. out there. Uh, you know the
1: the Ken Griffey Ken Griffey Jr. example I think is like the perfect scenario. If you are looking for that kind of a thing, you've got a dad who was a part of a really you know well respected Cincinnati Reds team. Absolutely mm-hmm. had a terrific career, extended his career. For a long time he got to be able to play with his son but then his son yeah. was clearly the superb and the superior talent and had the yeah. hall of fame career if those two things had been inverted you know it, it, the the ken griffey senior would have spent the rest of his whole life you know just being subtly reminded that he's good but you're not as good as your dad so, yeah, you know, but let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about roster reformation. And, um, you know, we're as we've kind of broken up this postseason podcast series. Uh, you know, last week we talked about the season review, this week we're talking about what has happened to the roster since the end of the season and what we can expect going into the 23 season. And then next week, we're going to do a way-too-early preview of the upcoming season for both teams. So diving into Washington, we're going to kind of break it up into key losses and key additions, and then what the ramifications and takeaways are from that. So uh, as far as the Huskies go, there are two ways that they've lost players one through graduation the other through the transfer portal graduation right. the biggest hit clearly um from from the graduates is the offensive line three starters on the inside of the offensive line Jackson Kirkland who was uh you know an all Pac-12 selection multiple years Henry Bainavalu who had a very respectable career with the University of Washington and then center corey luciano who really performed at a high level this year that unit that also included troy Fautano and roger rosengarten who are both coming back really ended up becoming one of the best offensive line units in the country keeping Penix, you know safe and healthy the whole year long which was obviously a, a massive factor Wayne Talapapa, who we talked about last week, the grad transfer running back from the University of Virginia, really came on the last four games of the season. He's gone. Um, Jeremiah Martin, another transfer portal addition from Texas A&M. He's a guy, Mark, that really did not do anything his entire college career at A&M or at UW until this year. He was that fifth-year player that turned it on in his last year, ended up uh, being a first-team All-Pac-12 selection, has a legitimate chance to make a career for himself now in the NFL. He will be greatly missed. And then we had a couple of uh, transfer portal linebackers, uh, Cook and – or excuse me, Mole and Bright. Neither one of those guys really – will have a significant impact on, on their loss. Alex Cook, a name that I think will probably always sting Oregon Duck fans, the uh, safety who took Bo Nix out of uh, the game in Odson. He's gone. Jordan Perryman. And then another familiar name, Peyton Henry, uh, will be gone as well. So those are our key graduate losses. And honestly, I as I was putting together this list, it's a little bit more significant than I originally thought it was. I, I thought
0: I was under the impression Alex Cook was coming back because you sent me some snarky text about him having unfinished business with Oregon. Uh no, what, what, what was
1: Cook no, is a no, no. Cook is a sixth year, he's a sixth-year uh you know player. So unlike okay. um um what is it, Cameron McCormick. He, he has not figured yeah. out a way to extend his career. But I, I do know who you're talking about. And I, I think uh, what I was referring to was Eddie Ulifosio, who uh, contributed to the slip at the end of the game. Yeah, no,
0: because so. if you remember, I said that Alex Cook, that we needed to figure out what his middle name was and refer to him the way we refer to like John Wilkes Booth and Lee Harvey <laughs> Oswald, that he needed yeah. to be, you know, Alex johnson cook or whatever his middle name is just because he was an assassin of sorts from oregon's perspective so i love it anyway love well it. i'm glad to hear he's gone i'm glad to hear he's yeah. moving on because I, I don't want to see or hear from him again
1: he's got a converted wide receiver that ended up becoming a, a, a pretty effective safety and uh you know he's getting some looks at, at uh some of the nfl senior stuff and all that kind of thing so good for him uh, so some key some key losses from the graduates and then the transfer portal. Of course, last week we uh, talked about the big news that Sam Heward, five star quarterback, legacy kid transferring out. The news is that he's most likely going to Cal Poly to uh, work to to play under his former uh, former coach. So best of luck to him. Mark, Sam Heward is the fourth highest rated recruit in UW recruiting history. So there's no way to try to, you know, minimize the fact that this is a big loss to lose a five-star quarterback from your program. Obviously, we're all excited to have Michael Penix back, but you don't want to lose guys like that to the portal. Um,
0: Well, and it should be noted, too, that it's a loss that Oregon fans are mourning because Sam Hewitt's dad, Damon... One of the most valuable players in Oregon history. And so uh, yeah. the you know, the opportunity to potentially benefit from his son playing quarterback for the Huskies has now slipped through our fingers. And so that's it's a it's a terrible loss for both schools.
1: Well, and and Sam's already become a, a fan favorite of Washington Cougar Washington State Cougar fans. That's right. <laughs> that's after, right. Yeah. After well, throwing three picks in his only career start at the university. Has of there
0: been a, a family of Husky royalty that has done more for their two rivals than the Heward family? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it, it seems unlikely. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think Washington state's going to be able to parlay that into the, the turn of a program, you know, fortunes like Oregon has, but Certainly, uh, you know, there's some unique history there for that that family name uh, at the University of Washington. But in addition to Heward, uh, JV on Sunday, a running back that just didn't seem to, to fit the, the new program. Victor Kern, I thought it was interesting to lose him. He is, he's been a starter as an in, inside offensive lineman, a position that we're losing three players to graduation this year, and yet he must have read the room and decided that it was best for him to to try to find a shot somewhere else. Uh, Lanyata Alexander, he transferred in last spring, and now he's transferring out. And then, interestingly, Mark, a couple of defensive backs who uh, are transferring out, Cam Williams and Sakari Spears, which is a position that was obviously – Uh, a major weak spot for this Husky football team, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But um, overall, I think the the losses are fairly minor. There's no, none of the, the transfer portal guys were starters or real contributors uh, in 2022. And there seems to be a pretty good sense that um, the guys that are graduating have, guys behind them or that are coming in in their place uh that should be fairly effective
0: yeah i think if if i'm looking at this uh as an oregon fan kind of sizing sizing up my my rival obviously i, I mentioned I'm, i was glad to see alex Cook leave for personal reasons <laughs> um i'm glad to hear that they're not as glad as some- bo Nix. yeah exactly I'm glad to hear that there are some losses on the offensive line. That's always something yeah. you, you'd love to hear. Oregon has major losses on their offensive line too. So I'm glad that we're not the only one having to figure that out. Uh, I think Tula Papa is a big loss. Cause I think he, he was maybe even underutilized a little bit mm. by Washington. And I didn't, I, I know that you've got other guys kind of ready to step in, but but I, I, I thought he was noticeably better than the guys that backed him up, uh, was my perspective. So, um, and then I think losing Peyton Henry as a four-year, you know, kicker is a big loss too, because anytime you're bringing in a kicker who's never kicked before, you have the option, you have the chance in college, especially of something going catastrophically wrong. (laughs) So uh, that that's kind of the the take from from somebody sizing up the roster yeah. from afar.
1: There's no doubt about it that, that that the the Peyton Henry you know loss could be very significant when you've got a guy that he's been through the ringer and he really became that clutch kicker in his final year um, and all time Husky leading scorer. So you you know you can't minimize that loss either. As far as key additions, the Huskies had uh the number Wait, wait. Don't,
0: don't I get to talk about my key losses? are, are we that? Oh yeah, yeah. Better? Oh yeah,
1: let's yeah, let's yeah. do it, man. Give me your, give me your key losses for the Ducks. Not
0: that I I don't want to hear about your key additions, but no, I think got to I, you know, good time.
1: I'm just plowing ahead, but no, let's let's talk about the Ducks. I want to hear about uh how they're bleeding out.
0: Yeah, uh so <laughs> I would say the the main uh, losses, if we're if we're just kind of focused on um, graduation and and guys leaving early for the NFL, the key ones to highlight are one on the offensive line. Oregon loses four of their five starters on the offensive line. Oregon had a really good offensive line this past year, mm-hmm. so there's some retooling that yeah. will need to happen. There are some. We'll, would you we'll get would you
1: say that this was the best offensive line that Oregon's ever had?
0: No, uh, I would. I I can't say that, but I do think that physically they match up a little better. I think I think they could hold their own a little more with like a really physical defensive line than like some of those Chip Kelly teams. Mm-hmm. But I think in that chip kelly era the those offense oregon would go into like a two-minute drill and they would run the ball every down and pick up 10 yards carry because they just opened these gigantic holes mm-hmm. and steve greatwood who was an offensive line coach for the ducks for about about, about three decades just did such a, a masterful job with those lines that it, it, it's hard for me to go against this team the, the Ducks this last year had a fantastic offensive line mm-hmm. in the sense that they ran the ball really well. They protected Bo Nix very well. But they also got called for quite a few penalties, especially in the mm-hmm. red zone. Especially, They got called for more ineligible linemen downfield penalties mm-hmm. than I've ever seen from an offensive line. Yeah. And so that's splitting hairs because they were a fantastic offensive line. And we're going to yeah. miss those, those four guys that are leaving. But if I'm really kind of splitting hairs of like, You know the best offensive line that Oregon's ever had. It's it's hard for me not to look at that that team that was able to just run the same three running plays all game long and rack up 400 yards on the ground. You know, yeah. Um, Yeah. So four four starters on the offensive line that they lose on the defensive side. I would say the most significant losses are Christian Gonzalez at the cornerback. He was by Mm -hmm. far Oregon's best player in the secondary kind of their closest thing to a lockdown player in the secondary Uh, Bennett Williams, who was a safety, who, who had some ups and downs, had a really Mm -hmm. bad game against Washington and a really great game the next week against uh, Utah, but was really kind of the heart and soul leader of the defense. He was the defensive Mm -hmm. captain uh, and, and a multiple year starter, hard hitter, you know, just a, just a guy that brought his whole self to the game. And then, you know, speaking of family legacies, uh, Noah Sewell, linebacker who who seemed to have a little bit of a disappointing year didn't have quite the impact that i think people thought he was going to have there's some talk about whether that was scheme related or or what that might have been he chose to take his talents to the nfl but but that's a loss especially just in terms of name you know it was in yeah. the sewells have been a part of oregon football for quite a while now so so he uh, he didn't yes.
1: graduate he he just declared early he declared early for the draft
0: okay. as did Christian Gonzalez. Yeah. Okay. So those, those
1: are uh,
0: those are the biggest losses on the transfer portal side. I would say it's a matter of quantity more than quality. Uh, at last count, Oregon has lost twenty-two players to the mm-hmm. transfer portal, which is a significant amount, and they're currently at ninety-one scholarship players, which they have to get that down to eighty-five basically by the by the uh, fall camp or by, by the time uh, school is starting up in the fall so they have some time to trim that but there's thoughts that they're preparing for several more to transfer out after the spring mm-hmm. and if you track who those guys have been for the most part they've been guys who weren't getting a lot of playing time if you take yeah. all 22 of those guys I think combined they represent less than 5% of the snaps taken over this past season for, for mm. Ducks. Uh, none of them uh, started the last game of the year against Oregon state. The two guys that, that got the most playing time this year, wide receiver, Dante Thornton uh, has landed at Tennessee, which is a really good spot for him. Yeah. He's a, he's a significant loss. He was, I would say Oregon's fourth best receiver uh, throughout the season I think wanted to be in that top three, so he was getting a little more reps. So he's going to take his chances in Tennessee, which is a lot closer to his his home, where I believe he is. Uh, I think he's from Maryland. And then, uh, linebacker Justin Flo, who was, you know, remembered because he was a five star recruit and and had some major injury issues. He's landed at at Arizona. Those are, I would say, in name. The two biggest losses for that uh, Oregon team through the transfer portal, but a lot of other losses that are guys where it's just kind of they were they were up against other good players like Byron Cardwell and and Sean mm-hmm. Dollars in the backfield. Um, Cam McCormick, you mentioned pursuing his like eighth and ninth years of eligibility; yeah. he's still got two years left. He's he went back with Mario Cristobal, and he's going yeah. at Miami. Uh, but yeah, a, a lot of guys where it just seems like they're, they're looking to kind of pursue an opportunity where they think they might be able to get on the field a little more.
1: So, I mean, I know you're, you're basically kind of like, well, these guys didn't really do a lot this year, but is there any, you know, player that you feel like, man, this is the guy that I really wanted to see thrive here at Oregon. And it just is not, we're not going to get to see that now.
0: Well, I think Thor- Thornton is the one that had the most moments. Yeah, uh-huh. I think he had a long touchdown against Washington, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. He had several of those throughout the year. So he was definitely a guy where there was no drop-off when he came in the game. Oregon had mm-hmm. uh, Troy Franklin, Chris Hudson, and Chase Cota were the top three, the starters in that rotation. But anytime Thornton was in the game, it just felt like you have another starter. When when uh, So... He's definitely the one of this list that I feel like could have had the biggest impact on this next year. The other name that I would cite is the edge rusher, Braden Swinson, who actually landed at LSU. So he's one of the few guys here that landed at another school of the same caliber or even maybe a little better caliber. And I think that fits because he was always a guy that when he got a chance he mm-hmm. seemed to make the most of it. He was always kind of buried behind, you know, for a while it was cave Thibodeau. And then it seemed like Brandon Dorless and DJ Johnson
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: had, had kind of locked down those two edge spots. And so he just was struggling to, to get the reps. similar to Dante Thornton. He's from back on the other side of the country. I, I believe he's from Georgia. So this is a chance to be closer to his home. I, I think that does factor into it for some of these guys mm-hmm. that came across country to Oregon. Um, But he's a guy that when he got in the game, it was it was never uh, for very long. But he always seemed to make an impact, and I kind of always had him in the back of my mind as like, oh, Swinson's a guy we can count on. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's kind of how I felt about it. And so, so that would be the other name where I was like, ah, shoot, I I I think I think he could have been a factor had had he stayed.
1: So you mentioned, um, I know Troy Franklin is coming back, Hudson and Cota. Are those
0: guys both coming back? Chris Hudson, yes. Chase Coda was a senior. So I, I should have mentioned him as a, as a okay. Departing, departing. Okay. Player. He was a uh, – a, I, I don't think necessarily Thornton was a one-to-one replacement for Coda because Coda was a little more of a possession receiver, third mm-hmm. down receiver, whereas yeah. Thornton was a little more of a, a game breaker, which they kind of have that in Franklin – and hudson so i think there was you know it, it wasn't when chase Cota went down with an injury it wasn't necessarily just like oh we'll just put in thornton and he's going to mm-hmm. do all the things that chase coda did it was more we're going to put in thornton and now we've got three guys that can go deep which is nice you know <laughs> but uh but a little different skill set that those two have
1: for sure for sure all right well let's talk talk about some key additions So for the dogs, um, they brought in the 27th ranked recruiting class, 20 players in total. And clearly they were making a concerted effort to address a position of tremendous need. The cornerbacks brought in six cornerbacks and safeties, uh, including four stars, Caleb Presley, Curly Reed from Louisiana, Vincent Holmes and others. Also brought in a star wide receiver, uh, Rashid Williams, who we mentioned last week on the show as the teammate of the now free agent uh, uh, available five-star quarterback, Jaden Rashada, who is back on the m- market after getting out of his uh, NLI with the University of Florida. Still no word yet as to whether or not the Huskies are going to land Rashada, but Certainly there's a storyline there. Yeah, And then I think um, a couple of names, Anthony James, who's a defensive lineman out of Texas, a, high, a four-star guy. Those are hard to come by for the University of Washington. So it was notable that we brought him in. And he was really one of those recruiting class leaders. You know how you're, every recruiting class has a guy that's kind of the, the Pied Piper in the group. So Anthony sure. James was kind of that guy for the Huskies this year, and then um, you know Tybo Rogers was a three-star running back that the Huskies seemed to favor over some of the more highly rated running backs, including four-star Jaden Lamar uh, from from Washington because of his multifaceted all-purpose back uh, you know skill set. So some some key additions there from the recruiting class
0: now Warren when you when you say they favored him over Jaden Lamar are you kind of suggesting that when Jaden Lamar chose to go to Oregon it was it was really just because Washington didn't want him or did Washington make a play at trying to recruit them both I'm I'm kind of interested in that one
1: you know I mean I'm I'm not going to try to say that I know everything about you know how that played out but from what I've heard and what I understand, and what you can see with the way that they have gone out and gotten players from the transfer portal, what the what the Huskies are looking for is a guy who's really gifted at catching the ball out of the, the backfield, and that's what Ta- Tybo Rogers is, and that seems to be the guy that they're targeting. So I'm not saying that you know they were like, oh Lamar stinks, we don't want him but he didn't he doesn't meet the the target of what they're really looking for in this you know DeBoer grub offense gotcha. um so you know if did they offer him yes they did did they you know covet him and pursue him as one of their top targets i don't think so so that that would be my my way to answer that question and that's no shade on lamar it's just You know, I'm I'm just looking
0: for some bulletin board material.
1: That's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, I mean, he's a good player now. You know, Caleb Presley, different story. They were all about Caleb Presley, and yeah, you know, and as a result, they went hard after him even to the very end. Uh, but and so, so talking about this, moving on to the transfer portal, this running back room is really changing with the addition of Dylan Johnson a running back who was a part of Mike Leach's air raid system at Mississippi state. In his uh, three years with the program, he had 149 catches and a total of 2000 career all purpose yards. So you can see that's a picture. I think what the, the Huskies are looking for is that guy that can really catch the ball out of the backfield. Another all purpose back, Daniel Nagata, uh, from ASU. He was a guy that the Huskies actually, you know, it's almost like we, we, we reversed. We went from recruiting all these big, strong, tall guys that were battering Rams under John Donovan. And now we're going after guys who are really skilled pass catchers. Um, and that's what Daniel Nagata is perhaps the most This could be the most significant addition in this class, and that's uh, cornerback Jabbar Muhammad, uh, who was an all-conference Big Ten player with, uh, or Big 12 player with OSU, with Oklahoma State University. Um, That could be the answer to help shore up some of the weaknesses in that defensive backfield. And then um, some other interesting storylines, Josh Cuevas, a pass-catching tight end. Um, Jer- Jeremy Bernard, he's got a unique story, having committed to UW, leaving UW to go to Michigan State, and now coming back again, a star-wide receiver. And then from uh, from Kalen DeBoer's original stomping grounds at Sioux Falls, uh, Zach Durfee, who is... A converted quarterback to edge that nobody really knew about that the Huskies brought in, and they think they've got something special with this guy. So he'll be fun to track. I am just
0: gonna say this. I, I I root against all things Huskies, but I root against any time a quarterback becomes a lineman. You know, the Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles have Lane Johnson, who is a high school quarterback. Who has now transformed himself into one of the best offensive linemen in the yeah. NFL, and so just hearing just hearing that little bit that he's from Sioux Falls, he was a quarterback. Now he's an edge rusher. Yeah, I'm all in on that guy. Like, and I only want the best for him. Like, <laughs> so uh, I I just love anytime a quarterback has to become like a real football player. It's one of my favorite things.
1: Those are those are always fun stories. So it'll be interesting to see you know, if he can make anything at this level, he was dominant at, at the FCS level, but clearly there will be a learning curve that he'll have to negotiate.
0: Let me ask you this, uh, cause I think the way it seems to work now is the transfer portal is for the guys that are filling a need right away. Like usually you don't have a guy come in from the transfer portal and sit for a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, but, the uh, the recruits that you've got in these 20 players you give me one that when we're we're talking about our game in mid-october or maybe maybe more realistically when you're kind of reviewing the apple cup at the end of the season like give me one name that you think could be that kind of a difference maker that we're we're talking about him in his first season
1: well as i mentioned i think jabbar muhammad he's the guy that we really need to be that all conference player as a cornerback. You know, we if we can stop Oregon from throwing three or four 60-yard bombs against us like they did in this last, you know, game, I think that's going to make a, a tremendous difference.
0: Okay, but he's from the transfer portal, right?
1: Yeah, okay, so addition So I'm
0: saying for, I'm saying of the fresh of the the freshman recruits fr- the 20, 20 guys. Yeah, cuz I, I I agree with you that the the transfer portal guys could have that kind of impact. I want a freshman, though.
1: Sim, similar story. I think it's either Caleb Presley or Curly Reed. High-rated four-star cornerbacks. If they can come in and just lock down a position and play above their age, I think that the the impact could be the difference between finishing third or fourth in the pac 12 and winning the Pac-12, so I think you know, that that cornerback safety room, if if the talent that we bring in is able to deliver, it will make a a, a seismic difference on this team because everything else seems to be lined up. Interesting. So so Mark, I've got a question that I've been wanting to ask you now for weeks, and I've just well, been. It- Go ahead. Yeah. So I've just I've, been, I've no, been no shoot I've been waiting to ask you this for weeks because to me this is just a, a, the ultimate you know way that we can think through this this roster reformation. But it, I want to go back to the Oregon's recruiting experience. Oregon's recruiting experience. They were in on Dante Moore, who was the five star quarterback i think was he the number one quarterback in the 23 class no he was he was like third or fourth okay but but one of the best he committed to to the university of oregon decommitted ends up going to to ucla you know that's a big loss obviously you guys brought in another four-star quarterback um you had a great recruiting class with a lot of other five stars so, you know, maybe it doesn't feel like that big of a loss now. But 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 then the the real significant news was that Bo Nix announced that he was coming back yeah. for a final year and a lot of Oregon fans, and I think rightly so, said something along the lines of I would much rather have Bo Nix come back for a year than have Dante Moore you know fulfill his commitment to the University of Oregon yeah so I guess my question is would would do you feel the same way like w- comparing the what what is proven to be a potentially you know top 10 college level quarterback in in Bo Nicks, is getting him back more you know more meaningful than getting a five-star unproven true freshman quarterback
0: well i'm thinking of looking at look at how oregon has done when they've had an experienced highly touted quarterback coming back uh with joey harrington senior year they went 11 and one they finished second in the nation Uh, Dennis Dixon's senior year, and he wasn't even as highly touted as Bo Nix uh, coming back for his senior year, but they were second in the nation late into November until he tore his ACL. Uh, Justin Herbert came back for his senior year, uh, won the Rose Bowl. Marcus Mariota, obviously, his his third year as the starter, uh, they ended up going to the national title game. So in general, when Oregon has had a really experienced quarterback... Those have been some of their best teams historically. So I think if you if you're just kind of talking about like what enhances our chances of having a really special season this year, I would say it's it's bringing Bo Nix back. And if you're talking about, well, but but what is that position what position does that put you into the future year? I'm I'm kind of in the place where I'd say, I'm assuming. Oregon will go after the next Dante Moore in the mm-hmm. next class. Yeah. And maybe they found it, maybe they got the guy that they wanted anyway in this Austin Novasad mm-hmm. who they pulled out of out of Texas. This is a kid who had been recruit who had been committed to Baylor mm-hmm. for over a year. Both Ohio State and Notre Dame made a run at him last summer and he basically reaffirmed his commitment to to Baylor and said he wasn't interested in budging. And it's interesting, you know, to see how these relationships intertwine. I think a big part of Dante Moore decommitting from Oregon was when Kenny Dillingham left. That was his primary recruiter. So when Dillingham took the Arizona State job, it kind of weakened Moore's connection to Oregon. Bonix coming back. I think the rumors of that probably also encouraged him to to seek out another location. Well, when Oregon hired Will Stein, Mm. out of texas who had all of these connections in the texas high school community stein was able to really parlay that and, and make a late push for this kid who had committed to baylor yeah so uh you know if you're just going by star ranking it's like oh had's only a four star dante moore's a five star therefore novosad's not going to be as good as dante moore we you know who knows
1: um yeah how in the world?
0: i would assume in the next recruiting class Oregon is going to get the equivalent and we kind of talked about this with like with five star quarterbacks that we said one out of three have a chance of really becoming a superstar and so if I'm looking at Oregon's approach to the quarterback position and they go after Ty Thompson who is a highly touted recruit and they go after Austin Novosad who is a highly touted recruit and they bring in a highly recruited highly ranked recruit in the next recruiting cycle the hope is just one of those guys pans out and is good enough to take over for Bo Nix after next season,
1: that, and, that's and, the if, hope. Not,
0: and but, if not, there's a good chance that they go into the transfer portal yeah. and get somebody like Bo Nix, or at the very least, somebody like Anthony Brown. You know, which they've done in the past yeah, as well. Yeah. Like, so I, it just feel like in this day and age, yeah so much of it is just who is on your roster right now, because we right. don't know if Dante Moore is going to stay at UCLA for four years. He still might transfer to Oregon.
1: Like, yeah. you know, so so that that's my point. Exactly. And, you know, I, I was thinking about a thing, I was thinking about Dante Moore. I was thinking about Bo Nix. And then I was reminded of the story. I just looked it up again, but back in 2010, Jake Locker came into uh, coach Steve Sarkeesian's office he said, I'm coming back. And in an interview, uh, Steve Sarkeesian said, forget four or five star recruits. We got a 10 star recruit today. You know, getting that starting quarterback, getting that guy who's pruning it yeah. on the field, who's already won over the locker room. And here's the point that I'm getting to, Mark, is that I believe that during this offseason, the Huskies have gotten eight 10-star recruits back mm. on their team. Mm. Eight guys who were all destined to go to the NFL who have all said, coach, I'm coming back for one more year. And just like I think 95% of all Oregon fans would take one more year of Bo Nix every day of the week over you know, four years of an unproven five-star, I think 95% of all Husky fans feel the exact same way about these guys Michael Penix Jr., Braylon Trice, ZTF, Tule Latula Gasanoa, Troy Otano, Jalen McMillan, Eddie Ulafosio, Roma Dunze. These are guys that should all be going to the NFL right now, but they're coming back to play another season. So when I think about this, this Husky season, and these are just a couple takeaways. And then we'll we'll let you guys talk about uh, Oregon's key additions, but just a couple takeaways is I think this is the the most excited Husky fans have been about the the roster that is already in place for the upcoming season that I can ever remember, maybe other than 1991. That that type of level of excitement. Um, the big questions we've already talked about. Can they replace the inside of the offensive line? Will guys like Kalepo, Hatchet, Bulow keep uh, Penix protected? And then that defensive backfield. Have we done enough to address the weaknesses in the defensive backfield? And if the answer to those two questions is yes. Uh, I think this is gearing up to be a very, very special Husky roster heading into twenty three.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of reason to be excited if you're a Washington fan. And I have to admit, as an Oregon fan, to hear that all of those guys are coming back, it it you know gives you a bit of a lump in your throat. Like I mean, that's <laughs> I think especially the combination of Penix with McMillan and Adunze, yeah, that it's just you've got this ready made explosive offense, but also to have the those pass rushers all coming back because that was one area where i would say washington was definitely better than or was markedly better than oregon yeah. was with, with the pass rush that they were able to generate oregon was pretty solid against the run i i would say was much better against the run than washington was but but did not generate nearly the same pass rush and so i think to have you know trice and ztf back also i mean that's a that's a real game changer and so uh, yeah I think I think there's reason to be to be excited about this this upcoming season certainly
1: absolutely you know I mean every team has this internal debate where you go man if if we had had this offensive line when this quarterback was here right you could have done this right you yeah. know and I think we're getting a chance to see, okay, what would it look like if all these things can converge in the same season? Yeah. What could we do? And like I admitted to you last week, maybe there is some redeeming value to the the NIL and uh, to the transfer portal. So we're we're excited about that. But let's talk about some key additions to the Oregon roster. Obviously, the big bold headline. Bo Nix is coming back. How yeah. just how excited are uh, Oregon fans about Bo Nix? Uh,
0: you know I think there's a lot of excitement about the skill position players returning in general, which is because it's not just Bo Nix. It's Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington in the backfield, mm-hmm. and it's Franklin and Hudson as their top two receivers. So there's a sense in which it's, and Terrence Ferguson, who was the the best tight end on the roster, uh, there's a sense that, okay, we have the components of a really functional offense, except we lost four offensive linemen. And it just, and it's kind of what you said, it's like you would love to match up, oh, the best, you know, this line with this era. It's like, Oh, if we could have just had this next year as the year where we're bringing back all of this offensive line talent, and and I think they've addressed some of it through the transfer portal, and I think they they tried to address others with some recruiting over the past couple of years. So I'm 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 more optimistic about the offensive line than I think I was in like mid December. But I think when that Bo Nicks announcement came, it was like this is great, but also like there's 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 some holes you know that need to be fixed and and the defense you know needs some attention and so uh i i'm not looking at this probably in the same way that you are where i think husky fans are kind of looking at this season like hey if if the stars align we could we could go 12 and 0 right mm-hmm. uh i don't I, think
1: most husky fans think they'll go 12 and 0 but i think that there are a lot of husky fans I feel like we can win the Pac-12 and have a shot at the 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 college football playoffs.
0: Yeah, and I th- I think that's a reasonable belief, and I think that Oregon fans have had that belief at different times, especially during the Chip Kelly era. We're coming into a season that just kind of felt like, I think we're going to be really good. I think we're going to win a lot of games. I think we're going to be better than most teams that we play, and I'm excited. I think with Oregon, I've, I kind of have a sense of, I think Oregon can absolutely hang with Washington, USC, and Utah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think that it's, it's going to be really competitive. And I think that the Beavers are are a factor in there and UCLA is a factor in there too. So like, so I think I'm a little more guarded just in the sense that I see the conference as being so loaded that I'm like, well, I think we've got a shot. I think it's an arms race right now. Mm-hmm. And bringing Nick's back is an answer to the Huskies bringing Penix back, and UC- USC having Caleb Williams, and now Cam Rising is coming back for Utah. Yeah. So it's like I feel like okay, Oregon is still in this game. It's like you know, there's the four clear contenders coming into next season. I think are those four teams uh, with the Beavers, understandably being upset that they're not part of that four, but uh, I I don't necessarily have the sense that have the feeling that you have um, and I think that that's probably just a result of how Oregon season ended versus how Washington's season ended where you know there's there's a few more unanswered questions that I think could be answered and could be answered definitively I it wouldn't totally it wouldn't shock me if Oregon wins the Pac-12 next year I'm not saying that I'm like going in kind of saying oh we're we're gonna be lucky to win eight games you know Uh, but it does feel to me like it's it's pretty even at the top between those, those top four.
1: I agree. So you, you've got some questions. How did some of the additions this year, uh, this off season help address some of those questions? So what are some of the key additions, whether through the, the, the recruiting transfer portal, what, what are you, uh, what are you anticipating as being significant?
0: Well let me just let me, let me start on the recruiting front just briefly to say that uh Oregon had according to 24-7, they had the 11th ranked class in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh Oregon had 28 recruits that they signed this year which is which Absolutely. is an extraordinary amount. I don't think there's any team that had more that I saw on the recruiting boards. Okay. Yeah. Last year Oregon only had 18 recruits. Mm-hmm. And they were the thirteenth ranked class. And the way two four seven does their recruiting rankings, it's a it's compiling all of the stars. right So if you have twenty eight players, you have twenty eight opportunities to get stars where if you only have eighteen, it's eight they don't just rank the average right. they're compiling. So Oregon was thirteenth with only eighteen players. They're eleventh with twenty eight players. Mm-hmm. So you could actually say if you're if you're really reading into the star rankings that last year's class was a little more bang for the buck in yeah. terms of star ranking, you know, that last year's class, instead of being 13th, maybe should have been like eighth or ninth. And that this year, instead of being 11th, maybe they should be like 14th or 15th. Right. I don't really know what to make of that. I just know that they brought in a ton of guys and they've brought them in mostly on the defensive side of the ball. I think that the, as the scholarships currently are, it's something like 53 defensive players and 38 offensive players or something like that. If you were to, oh. Okay. Um, and i think that that's interesting only in the sense that uh i shared an article with you earlier this week that broke down like the all pro players in the nfl and that basically the offensive players in the nfl almost none of them were highly rated recruits coming out of high school mm-hmm. if you whether it's patrick mahomes or josh allen or cooper cup or yeah. there are all these examples of nfl studs that were totally overlooked as high school prospects right and on the defensive side they're almost all four and five star guys coming out, especially it's like seven of the top 11 defensive players in the NFL this year were five star prospects coming out of high school. Mm -hmm. And we kind of talked about this via text over like that. It seems like the difference in recruiting comes on the defensive side. And if you look at a team like Georgia or a team like Alabama or Clemson, the reason why they've won national titles, yes, they've all had good offenses. They've had good quarterbacks, but like Georgia had a walk-on quarterback in Stetson Bennett, who just kind of emerged as like a, a gutsy leader who made some big throws. But yeah. on the defensive side, they had some real dudes. Yes. And when those guys went down, they just brought other dudes in. And it was just kind of this revolving turnstile of really great athletes. Right. So I'm interested over the next couple of years if that is kind of the landing approach to rebuilding the defense, which needs some rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Of if, Is is he kind of attacking it with a quantity approach of saying, if I go out and I bring in 10 edge rushers in a recruiting class, I don't need all 10 of them to pan out, but if three of them do, we're going to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that that's kind of the the point of interest about the the recruiting angle. I'm not really looking for much of anything from those guys this year. I'm much more interested in what the transfer portal will bring as far as immediate returns, but that's kind of the long-term. Yeah. That I have um as far as as far as the transfer portal it just kind of matches up with if you everything that I said about what Oregon lost you look in the transfer portal and you find an immediate answer they lose Dante Thornton as a receiver they bring in a, a receiver from Alabama Sean Holden mm-hmm. who's the third leading wide receiver for Alabama they also bring in a guy from from Troy Tez Johnson who is actually the adopted brother of Bo Nix and was the leading wide receiver for Troy. Troy won twelve games, finished in the top twenty-five, had a dynamic offense. He was their leading receiver, and he's Bonix's brother. So and
1: you're So that Bonix's family adopted.
0: Bonix's family adopted Tez. Yeah, at some point okay. in their childhood. Uh, that's wild. So that's why they have a different last name. Yeah. But so they lose Dante Thornton, which I said was a significant loss. I think they brought in two receivers that are as good of, if not better than what they lost in Thornton. Uh, I mentioned that they lost four starters on the offensive line. They went out and they got two guys that look like they're going to be immediate starters on the offensive line. Mm -hmm. One of them, Junior Angelou. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but he started 34 games at Texas. Uh, Another one is Johnny Cornelius from Rhode Island was, was pretty much considered the top rated offensive lineman in the portal was kind of a guy unheralded winter Rhode Island as a, at the FCS level, just dominated there. All kinds of big name schools were going after Cornelius mm-hmm. and he ended up uh, committing to Oregon. So that's one of those things of they, they lose four starters in the offensive line rather than needing four of those young guys, like the Josh Connerly's of the roster to fill in those gaps. They go out and they get a couple guys from the transfer portal. Now right. they only need to find two guys on the current roster to kind of take that step up. Um, and then on on the defensive side, Oregon's Oregon had an issue with a pass rush. They just did not generate a good pass rush with their with their front seven. They go out and they get an edge rusher from from South Carolina named Jordan Birch, who was third on the Gamecocks in tackles. He was second on the team in sacks. Uh, seems mm. like a guy who can provide a little bit of that burst on the edge. Yeah, uh, they lose Noah Sewell at the linebacker position. They go get a guy named Justin Jacobs from Iowa, who missed most of last season with an injury, but the last season he was healthy. He was fifth on the team in tackles. Mm. Uh, they lose Bennett Williams and and uh, and Christian Gonzalez in the defensive backfield. They get Bennett Williams's brother from Fresno State who was a second-team all-Mountain West player at Fresno. And so they, they can plug him in at the safety position, presumably. And to replace Christian Gonzalez, they go out and they get a guy named Kyrie Jackson, who was a cornerback at Alabama. Hadn't seen the field much, just with a loaded roster at Alabama. So he's looking for a, a, a fresh start and an opportunity to play. So you can just kind of see the chess pieces where it's every place where Oregon had a key loss they're looking to somebody in the transfer portal to at least provide some competition for that spot coming into training. camp. It may be that the cornerback that replaces Christian Gonzalez was already on the roster, but now they've brought in this guy from Alabama that's going to be competing with those guys for a starting spot. And and that just adds an intensity to everything in, in, in spring, spring ball and, and fall camp.
1: Absolutely. And they, they really have done a good job of addressing those needs. There's one guy on that list, Evan Williams. He, he was at Fresno state, as you mentioned, which of course, you know, Kalen DeBoer, um, you know, had uh, a lot of influence there. And uh, I was certainly hoping that that safety position would get filled at the university of Washington. So I remember seeing his name pop onto the portal and saying man that would sure be nice to get that guy and then i was reading his bio and it said his brother plays for the university of oregon and i was like oh crap yeah. so no surprise but definitely i was a little perturbed that uh he he went to oregon instead of going and playing for uh De Boer again but uh yeah i mean great great additions good good review um any you know, any major takeaways as you, as you kind of think about this roster, you know, heading into the spring, there's going to be probably a few more losses. As you mentioned, maybe there's a one or two additions, who knows, but, um, you know, going into the spring, how are you feeling about the way that this roster is looking right now?
0: Well, it's it's interesting, Warren, because of the size of this recruiting class and because of the the large amount of transfers out of the program, uh, none of whom were guys that Dan Lanning recruited in, in his first season, they were all, you know, holdovers from the previous regime. We're looking at having, I think, 75% of the roster are guys that committed to Dan Lanning. Yeah. Which is pretty extraordinary because he's been there for what, 20 months at this point, like, you know, uh, and, and yet he's already turned over, three quarters of the roster and it's a very it's a very young roster I think about 40 guys eligibility wise are freshmen so they they could potentially be around for a while if if they stick it out right Mm -hmm. Uh, in this day and age that's the big question but what I see when I look at that is there is something of a culture that Lanning is trying to create and that it did seem to him at least like he needed to bring in some fresh blood in order to, to create Mm -hmm. that. And I don't, I don't know what all that means for the guys that are leaving. It doesn't sound, Lanning hasn't suggested in any way that he's bitter about the guys that are leaving or that they were forced out. Um, He's continually just kind of said, we want what's best for all of these guys. And if, if they come into my office and, and say that they're looking to make a move, then we're going to want to help them land in the best spot, you know? So I, th- I think he's taking the right approach and all that, but I just think in terms of like building a culture, there's going to be a very different energy to this, this spring practice than the previous spring practice, because he's been there a whole year now. Uh, most of his staff has been there a whole year now. They've, they have had a little turnover in the off season, but And you've got all of these guys. I mean, half of that freshman class are enrolled right now. They're already Mm -hmm. taking classes at the University of Oregon. They're going to be practicing this spring. So there is a way in which I can kind of talk myself into, like, this team takes a major leap forward just because of kind of that cultural imprint is able to have a bigger effect in year two than it was in year one. You've heard me like a broken record say that most great coaches take their leap in the second year, not in not in the first year. So there's a way I can talk myself into that. Uh and then I kind of have to take a dose of reality and say, hey, it's it's a loaded year in the Pac 12. There's multiple Heisman Trophy candidates, you know. But uh but yeah, there's there's certainly a way that I can look at this this team and the way it's coming together and be pretty optimistic.
1: There's no doubt about it. I mean, when you think about it, you've got in some ways a perfect scenario of you've got this, this massive collection of young, highly tal- talented, highly touted players. And then you've got this senior group of, you know, Bo Nicks, experienced skill players who can kind of keep the team moving in a good direction while they develop underneath you. So, if all things work according to plan, the the, the transition of Bo Nicks and those guys moving on to the NFL should work fairly smoothly um, for, for the Oregon Ducks. I think Washington was kind of in a similar position a year or so ago where we had like 40-something guys that were either true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, or COVID freshmen. COVID freshmen, yeah. You know? um, so, you know, but I think that the question is with the with the transfer portal now is if you've got 40 guys that are basically all kind of slotted into the same class, once those guys begin to realize where they're at in the pecking order, how many of them will, will go? And is that right. just the way it is? If the, I mean, yeah, is it just going to be that way that every year we're going to see? 30 guys 40 guys come in and another 30 or 40 guys leave like yeah just like that's just the way it is you know you you think you're good enough to play at Oregon you show up you're not and then you're gone and but you know that just is going to be the new way but you know you mentioned culture and I guess the question is you know In the first year or two of Lanning's program, this kind of turnover is both expected and I think probably appreciated because you're saying, okay, he's bringing in his players, he's building his culture. But is that a a healthy, sustainable pattern? Or is this just something that you want to just see happen in the the early stages, and then you want to see the curve flatten out?
0: That's a good question I I don't think I know the I like I know that ultimately I would love to see guys stick around for four years rather than be con kind of constantly have a revolving door uh, but I also am just kind of trying to take the temperature of like this is this is what it is you know this is the culture that that we're in right now and and that if there are guys that feel kind of buried on the depth chart and they want to seek out another opportunity, I, I don't want to begrudge them for that. And if there is a way that you, but that by bringing in seven to 10 guys every year that are starting level players, if that kind of raises the game of everybody who's already there, and that, that, that that, that might be a really good thing to insert into a culture is to have some, some new blood kind of constantly coming in and, and bringing some different experiences with them. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know that I have the answer. I think um, I think that Lanning seems to be a guy who develops a pretty good bond with his players. I think I think that played a huge part in Nick's coming back. Is that guys seem to really like to play for him, and so I think that will serve him well in the long run uh and i think that the signs that we saw this year especially in how they responded after that georgia game and even after even after the husky game uh of how they responded say something to me about how this team is going to kind of compete for this guy you know and so um so i think i think i'm just i'm optimistic about about what he's building and and he just he seems like a good and decent guy who, you know, who wants to do it the right way. So, I think I'm 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 enthusiastic about that. And and I I don't know how that's all going to play itself out in terms of roster construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think in the end he's probably going to earn players' trust, and that that's going to go a long way.
1: Well, as we wrap this up, I think one thing we can both agree on is that. Rosters from this point on are going to be very fluid. Yeah, even in the next few months, we're going to see guys leave. We're going to see guys come. Uh, of course, the dog and duck show is going to be here to keep you uh, fully abreast of all the, the the changes to the roster, breaking down what we're hearing from spring practices, uh, covering ongoing recruiting, and of course then previewing the 23 season in the fall but Mark we promised that we were going to talk a little bit of NFL and our time is running out so we're going to have to really um, keep it brief but why don't you give us a a quick you know preview of this uh, uh, you know this AFC NFC championship round uh, that's upcoming this weekend
0: well just real quick readers digest version I think we I think we have the four best teams. And I think that that's proven itself out. So on on the AFC side, it's a rematch of last year, Chiefs versus Bengals. Last, last year, the Bengals uh, came back from a 21-3 to deficit and won that game in overtime. Now they're coming in with, uh, with kind of a sense of we've been there, we've done this, we know we can do this. Um, Kansas City with a limping Patrick Mahomes, it's, it's kind of, can they find their way through this again? They're hosting the AFC title game for the fifth year in a row, which is extraordinary. Uh, But they've only been to two Super Bowls in those previous four times hosting the AFC title game. So uh, I think that's just a really fun matchup because of the rematch implications and because of the Burrow, Burrow has beaten Herbert or Burrow has beaten Mahomes three times now and Mahomes hasn't beaten Burrow. So there's just, there's all kinds of intrigue on that side. And then on the NFC side, you've got so, an Eagle. So just
1: Mark real quick on that, that Burrow Mahomes conversation, because, you know, you've been a big apologist of, of Mahomes and rightfully so. He's yeah to me, he's the best quarterback in the NFL today um, in terms of what he's doing on the field right now. Yeah. And yet, as you mentioned, Burrows has beaten him three times. If he beats him again, that's, Uh, you know, all of a sudden you're saying, whoa, there's something really uniquely strange about the way this is playing out. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the relationship with Federer and Nadal in tennis. Yeah, Federer was at the top of his game and yet all of a sudden Nadal shows up and Federer is the best player in the universe, except for the fact that he keeps losing to Nadal. Right, um, right. So you know, am I right in that comparison? I mean, obviously we've got to let it play out on uh, this weekend, but
0: I mean, it, is it is it Federer at all? Is it Brady, Eli Manning? You know, uh is it
1: uh okay? So you just seriously insulted Burrow in in that uh by comparing him to comparison. Eli Manning? Eli, Eli Manning won two Super Bowls. Like yeah, <laughs> Joe
0: Burrow on. hasn't
1: won a Super Bowl yet. Come on. I mean, everybody, everybody. Okay. No, hold on. Hold on. Hey, let's, let's give Eli credit. And and by the way, I think Eli has had the best post career uh, of any, you know, quarterback that I can think of. He is all over the place, but, but no, I mean, seriously, like nobody ever really considered Eli Manning to be one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the NFL at at any given time, but he beat Brady. But yeah. but multiple times in the Super Bowl. But Burroughs, I think most people are saying, yeah, he belongs to be in he 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 belongs in that top three or four conversation, same as Nadal was, you know, in that top three conversation continues to be. Yeah. But but it was just this bizarre thing where it was like, okay, we all agree that Federer is the best in the world, except he keeps losing. Right, to, right, right. To Nadal.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I'd like to see how this one plays out of like, you know, uh, for instance, when Mahomes lost to Brady in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, when Mahomes' offensive line was obliterated and he was kind of running for his life the whole game and, you know, Brady is just kind of doing Tom Brady stuff and looking yeah. totally composed and comfortable, but also not pressured at all. And there was kind of a sense where people were like, oh, see, this This just proves Mahomes isn't as good as Brady. And I, I remember watching it and saying, like, any, any football scout who watched that game is coming away offering a scholarship to Patrick Mahomes, not to Tom Brady. Like, you're sure. coming away from that game going, gosh, that kid with the bad offensive line who's running around and, you know, throwing 50-yard bombs that his receiver in the face mask and gets dropped, like, that's the guy... Who I'm, I'm, you know, handing a contract to, or something like that. Like, so the idea that, like, just because one quarterback's team
1: wins, yeah. beat another
0: quarterback's team, right. that, that's not necessarily definitive. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, it seems like he's going to play this game on basically on one leg, right? If he's limping around there on one leg and he loses a shootout to Joe Burrow, you know, uh, I don't know that that necessarily like definitively proves something.
1: I don't think any quarterback or any team uh, or any fan of any team should ever blame a quarterback's limp for their loss. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So let's just wipe that off the table, but no, seriously, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about this, this other game, the, the Eagles and the 49ers. Because it's also equally compelling. You've got the Jalen Hurts storyline. Here's a guy that, you know, he he made it to a national championship game, gets benched at halftime, replaced by Tua uh, with, with with Alabama, ends up going to Oklahoma, thriving under Lincoln Riley, and now has become a superstar with the Eagles. And then you've got Brock Purdy, who is mr irrelevant seventh round draft pick the guy that went toe to toe with uh jalen hurts in college at iowa state uh barely losing in the final seconds of that game nobody expected him to to be in this position he was the third string quarterback at the beginning of the season but now this guy's looking like you know the second coming of joe montana what you know what uh, what is your take on this game? And, you know, both teams have been the two most dominant teams in the NFC this, this year. Who, who's going to come out victorious in this?
0: Yeah. I think there was a question with Philadelphia because, you know, they got near the, they started out 13 and one and then Hertz went out with an injury and then they're resting their starters and then they have a bye week. And so it seemed like a whole month went by and we hadn't really seen that version of them. And there was a question of "Are is, is that still the Eagles? And then they came out against the giants. and just dominated from the opening snap. And it was like, Oh yeah, the Eagles are still the team to be say, taken seriously. But then here the Niners are, they've won 12 in a row. Mm. So it really does feel, I, I, I don't have a sense of like, which team I kind of, I think will win. Like I think that they are both coming in red hot. I think I would probably give the slightest edge, to the eagles because they're playing at home so now you're talking about brock purdy on this seven game winning streak this is still his first playoff start on the road spot in the super bowl on the line playing against a really really good team it's the it's i think they're a significantly better team than he's had to beat thus far in the playoffs so i i think i would i would give a slight edge to the eagles but the Niners have such a tough defense. They have so many weapons around Purdy on offense that, mm-hmm. that take the pressure off him in a, a myriad of ways. Yeah. That it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, any one of these four teams could win the Super Bowl, and I wouldn't be surprised. Usually you've got one one team at this point where you're like, okay, we're not taking them seriously. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how they they got this far, but they're they're not going to be a Super Bowl contender. These really feel like the four best teams in the league. And they all have like, there's a path that each of them could take to to winning the Super Bowl. I think that's what makes it fun.
1: Absolutely. And I think you're right. The The way that that offense, that we know how good the 49ers defense is, the way that offense has been constructed where they've got a, a quarterback that is more than a game manager, but he doesn't have to carry the team on his shoulders. But then they've got a running back who can catch, They've got a wide receiver who can run. They've got a tight end who can do everything. Um, They've got a fullback that can, you know, they can throw into the mix. It's a team that's got a lot of options that I think really makes the job for pretty much, much easier. Uh, So it's going to be a fun game to to keep an eye on. So, Mark, uh, every once in a while, we've got a stat of the week. This is my stat of the week to, to wrap wrap up our show today. But out of these final four teams, only one team has a quarterback who's making more than $10 million this season. And of course, that's Patrick Mahomes. But the other three are all on rookie contracts, uh, which I think further cements the idea that the economics of winning Super Bowls it has changed over the last decade or so. Uh, and if you're going to win a quarterback, if you're going to, excuse me, if you're going to win a Super Bowl, you either have to have the greatest quarterback of your generation, or you've got to have a quarterback who's still on a rookie contract and hasn't gotten that $45, 50000000 million deal. And by the way, I think the Seahawks both cracked the code with Russell Wilson in his first three years and then uh the Denver Broncos just completely got annihilated by the code and they're going to be buried under that Russell Wilson contract for a decade it's
0: um, yeah.
1: so yeah um interesting stats something to keep an eye on as teams like the Seahawks are making decisions about how much they want to pay a guy like Geno Smith um the year the year to win the Super Bowl was this year. If if you're the Seahawks fans with a quarterback like Geno, he's going to be getting paid thirty million dollars a year somewhere next year. Um, but with that, we'll wrap it up. Mark, I don't know if you have any final thoughts, Warren. It's always always
0: a pleasure to uh, to talk about i mean every week that goes by we just get a little bit more closer to, to kicking off next season so it's fun to to have these discussions and forecast a little bit about what what these teams are going to look like
1: well thank you to all of our dog and duck fans for listening to the show for all my dog fans out there go dogs
0: and for all my duck fans go ducks
1: we'll catch you next time